Okay, I'll count it down. You ready? Let's do it. In five, four, three. All right, everybody, we're back. This is episode number 34 of the Recovery Lab podcast series. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. Uh, we've got a great show uh, planned for today. We are joined by Dr. John Witcher and his wife, Brooke. Dr. Witcher is a 2024 gubernatorial candidate for here in Mississippi. We're going to get to talk. He, he said uh, everything's uh, on the table. Nothing's off limits. We're going to hear all about what he has to offer. We've got our general introductory spiel is always the same. Support us on the podcast by uh, going to our website, recoverylabllc.com. You can buy some of these awesome T-shirts that they we're are. representing today. Yeah, they are pretty We cool. still have a few hoodies left. Uh, join. You can uh, subscribe to our Patreon account off the website. Everything is available there. It's how we are able to bring y'all awesome content. So please help us out. Absolutely. Oh, so well, look, without further ado, let's get into it. Dr. Witcher, Brooke, thank y'all for joining us. Yes, thank you so yeah, much, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank thanks you. for inviting us. Absolutely. Well, look, tell us a little bit about what you got going on. I know you're a busy man these days. Yeah, well, uh, like I said, my name is Dr. John Witcher, and I've been a doctor here in Mississippi for 25 years. I'm born and raised in Mississippi. And uh, we've decided to run for governor. How's that working so far? Uh, well, it's going great. I'll let Brooke add a little bit to that. Well, I, um, it was not an ambition that uh, my husband has ever uh, expressed interest in, in doing, but he just um, felt with, the, with everything that came out in, during the pandemic that it exposed a lot of problems in the state, a lot of issues that we didn't really realize that we had, and um, he just felt like he wasn't able to get attention on these matters that really were vital for Mississippians, and so that's what moved him to do this. And, you know, he's a man that prays, and he listens to the Lord, and, you know, we, we just find it best to obey. <laughs> when, when Obedience. You get a yeah. Right, right. You get an, a directive from the good Lord, you, you just pretty much have to act on it. Was there a moment, can you, can you look back and, and figure out exactly when that moment was when the light, bulb swi- the light switch switched and you said, oh, my God, we're, I'm going to run for governor. What, what was that moment like? Were you on the fence about it? Were you, no, I'm going to do this? Or was it like, I don't really know, there is a need, and I really think that I could help in this particular situation. Maybe it's something I should think about, pray about, what What was that situation look like, or did that look like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah, it's been a process. I mean, when we first got started in doing all this, um, it was, we, we met at a little church uh, up in Flora. That's been, what, that was in 21? Mm-hmm. And there was a, it was packed room, and uh, Seth Ketchell was there, and uh, it was about, mostly about election integrity that day. But there was also talk about medical freedom. And uh, actually, the whole church stood up and took an oath that we were going to not just stand on the sidelines, but we were going to get involved in, uh, in just freedom in general. And so from that point, you know, th- and that's, that's kind of where we've been. We, we've been activists, really, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we started Mississippi Against Mandates, Brooke and myself did, and, and quickly had other physicians, nurses, and um, 
and citizens around Mississippi supporting that. And, and it was about um, the COVID vaccine mandates. And we just felt like that no no one needed to, uh, you know, if they didn't want to get, get the vaccine, they didn't have to. And, uh, and so that's where things started really heating up for us. And, um, and then over the last several months, um, you know, we, we just, um, I've been trying to, I've been meeting at, at people that are, uh, you know, kind of like we are that are thinking about running for office at different levels in Mississippi. And, um, and I actually, yeah, you know, I went around asking a few people to run for different things, senator, legislature. Uh, These were people in your group, and, and you were, yeah, you were people, like, come on, Bob, yeah, you yeah, should run for on, this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and, and then, um, and so I, I guess I started thinking about running for senator in my, uh, you know, my particular district, and then I just, one thing led to another, and I was praying, and I just felt like God said, well, you know, Tate's not what, doing it right. What, what, what about <laughs> governor? And so I started really praying about that, and then, um, and then uh, you know, uh, there was three events. I call them, you know, uh, th- that I heard from the Lord. I just said, you know, I need a sign, and so He gave me one sign, and I said, oh, I guess I, I, that's I need perfect. another one. And you I said, tell yeah, us what the- I might need. Yeah, <laughs> give me just one more. And so the next day, that so the first one was on Monday. The next day was a Tuesday. And I was like, all right, God, I'm, I'm listening, but are you me, sure? Just give me three. <laughs> <laughs> and so the next day was Wednesday, and it was like, wow. That it, it's, I was like, all right. So and that's kind of where we. They may not be lightning bolt signs if you're not in his head and mind, but when he's, you know, they were, they were lightning bolt to him. Yeah. Do you care to tell us, or do you want to keep that to yourself, what those signs were? Well, I mean, I could briefly tell you it's. You know, the first sign was, uh, so I was I got started in a Bible study in my neighborhood with some older gentlemen, and uh, uh, and I've, I've been all around the country in different places, Brooke and I have over the last several years, uh, speaking on medical freedom uh, topics. And so we met this, we met Brandon House. I don't know if y'all know him with, um, he's on Michael Br- and Brandon. Brandon House. 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 H O W Z E S E. S E. Yeah, it's a little different spelling, but he runs Lindell TV. Mike Lindell and Frank uh, Speech. Oh, Frank Speech. Okay. Yeah, and he's uh, so I met him early, uh, I guess about a little over a year ago, and um, and you know I've been on his show a lot, and, and he's somebody I really um, you know he's he talks about uh, really everything that we're involved in. From from our governmental situation to uh, social situations, our educational system. He's written many books, and um, you know, and so and and he he's um, talks about the you know where we're at on the timeline of of the um, of in the Bible, and so I listen to him a lot. So anyway, long story short, one of these gentlemen at this Bible study knew him very very well, and so that that was a shocking revelation because we had just been talking about. Uh, I was actually trying to get him to run for uh, something. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, w- when that happened, I was like, Lord, okay, could that be a sign that I need to be running uh, for something? Because he wouldn't do it. He, he wouldn't do it. And so then the next day is when I got a phone call from a gentleman that I, I met uh, actually in Washington, D.C. at the Defeat the Mandates. He's, he's Jewish. Uh, and uh, anyway, he... I'll say his name, David Wiseman. 
and uh, so anyway, he calls me, and I, I don't talk to him very often, but we were setting up this event here in Jackson. Where we had about 25 speakers come to talk, and that was just, that happened uh, a week or so ago. And uh, so he said, well, yeah, I can't come on that particular day. And uh, it's, uh, it has to do with, uh, he, he was in negotiations, I won't tell all of his business, but bottom line was what we had been studying about in, in our Bible study, it was very correlated to what he was talking about in Israel. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, what was the chances of that happening? Right. And so I said, all right, well, that's, you know, this is. And then the next day, I, that was my second. The next day I was at the Capitol building. We were going around, and I was just kind of meeting people. And I, that's what I've, I'd been doing kind of because uh, I was trying to get some bills passed for freedom of speech and for, for uh, different things in the medical freedom uh, movement. And, um, and our ex-governor walked in, Governor Phil Bryant. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but he's, you know, he's uh, in some hot water these days. Yeah, he's, he's in some hot water these days. But but he is, uh, you know, I had just looked at his portrait and he, and he was holding his Bible in his portrait on the wall. And I was hold I was holding my Bible. I've been carrying this little Bible with me for a couple of years. And and so anyway, I said I just told myself, you know, my wife had known him years ago and we, we just chit chatted in the hallway and uh you know, I said, um, you know, I appreciate your taking a stance and uh, I saw you you know, you had the Bible in your hand there in your portrait and he, so we were talking about the Bible and that sort of thing and then he just said he just leaned over to me as we were departing, he said, Woe to those who call uh, evil good and good evil. Well, I had just went to a big event a couple weeks before that in Florida, uh, freedom health and freedom event, and I had about 200 slides. And I never used any of them because when I got up there to speak, it just I just never had time to, I just spoke from my heart. Well, I had one Bible verse in all those 200 slides, and that was it, Isaiah 520. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. So I was like, all right, God, I'm, I'm listening. So that was my third sign. Right. We've got, there's so many topics we can talk about. Look, let's start with uh, the the your opposition to the vaccine mandates is the large driving force here. Yeah. Is your opposition to vaccines the vaccine itself or the mandates? Well, I mean, it, you know, the mandates certainly. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, if you go back and look at the whole um, history of what happened, and, and, and I appreciate what's going on in our capital right now, and I think this needs to be something we take at a state level as well. You know, there's lots of investigations coming out right now. I think everybody, most everybody doesn't trust what Dr. Fauci did, okay? I think he, he's, he didn't tell the truth from, from the beginning uh, in, in, in everything. I mean, look at the mask, okay, first – he said, you know, masks don't work. And he said, then wear a mask. Then, well, wear two masks. Well, wear a mask when you walk in the restaurant. When you sit down, you okay, you can take masks. I mean, none of this made scientific sense. Okay, so, um, and then you just fast forward to the to the vaccines. And, and they were pushed as uh, they're safe, safe, safe. They're going to stop the pandemic. And and um, and so what do we see? We, we see that people that got got vaccinated, they still got COVID. It didn't. It didn't stop you from getting COVID, and it didn't stop. St- then they said, "Well, you won't die if you get co- if you if you take the vaccine," and that's not true. That that's turned out. If you look last year, just in our state in 2022, um, we had more people die 
of COVID or with COVID uh, that were vaccinated and were not. So it was a false and that's narrative. That's a fact. Is that a fact? Yes. Fact? So it, it, it's a false narrative. And so. Um, Say that in 2022, more people who died. From COVID. From COVID. Yeah. Or were we, vaccinated. Were vaccinated <coughs> yeah. than unvaccinated. Yeah. Out of 600 and some odd people that died in with COVID in 2022. And I say with COVID because people generally, you know, people that die uh, with COVID, they have usually have at least two or three or even four comorbidities. You know, they're already sick or they have illnesses. Right. Uh, it can be just obesity, but they're uh, already uh, debilitated somewhat. And so, uh, but yeah, the people that died in 2022, the majority of them, 68% of them were vaccinated. 68%. Yeah. So... So it's it's just tough with these numbers, and st- I mean, yeah, no, no, but, but nothing's more unreliable than <coughs> than statistics. They get twisted for. They get used a lot, but one thing that's not a statistic was his experience with taking care of people that were injured by the vaccine. Yeah, and so that that was really the game changer for for him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when they um, so the so our hospital system said uh, starting about August, August September. Um, that we all had to be mandated uh, to take the vaccine. If we didn't take the vaccine by o- October the 29th, we'd lose our jobs. Well, there were many of us in, in working in the hospital settings, uh, doctors, nurses, healthcare workers that hadn't been vaccinated. And we just felt like, you know, uh, if any, you know, we didn't want to get vaccinated. We had different people had different reasons. Some people just didn't want to be mandated to get vaccine, vaccinated. Some, some people had had COVID already and they felt natural immunity was being overlooked. Um, and then, so, I mean, <coughs> so that was the, um, well, by that time, we're talking about September. Uh, I had already been. September t- of, of, of 21. Of 21, okay. So, yeah, the vaccines rolled out in early, you know, the end of 2020. Okay. You know, December, and then, of course, it really got started the, fr- the early 21. But <coughs> by the summer of 21, I had been, I was seeing vaccine-injured patients in the, in the ER hospital setting what were they what were their what were they presenting with well the the first one that i knew absolutely for sure that was vaccine injury was a a a lady in her mid-50s she had guillain barre syndrome she took one shot of pfizer in january and within days she started developing lower extremity weakness that was progressive by the time i saw her in the summer she was just coming to the er to get refills on her medicines she had already had been diagnosed by a neurologist that she had, um, you know, Guillain-Barre syndrome as a direct result from one shot of Pfizer. Okay, so, um, so I knew there were people. Being she injured. was in a wheelchair, right? No, she wasn't in a wheelchair, but <coughs> she couldn't. St- well, I, I, I don't know for sure. When I saw her, she was in the bed, and uh, I stood her up, and she couldn't take a step without me holding her. And she before that, she said she was perfectly healthy, and so. Um, so yeah, so that that was, um, and there were other things, you know, blood clots, uh, neurological problems, um, et cetera, and so strokes, heart attacks. Are these side effects <coughs> happening at a rate that is unacceptable? Well, we don't, to, yeah, to modern medicine. <coughs> well, if you listen to the CDC, they would say these uh, side effects are rare, okay, and, and that's what they. But, you know, they <coughs> many people that push the so- shots, including right here in our state, they went a step further. They, they never, they said they were super-duper safe. There, there were no 
risk involved. Okay, and that's where you know I couldn't as a physician. You know, my job is to do no harm and to protect the patients, give them informed consent. <clears throat> and I couldn't give them informed consent because I didn't know what the risks were, really. I, I It's like, take it at your own risk. But there were too few tests done. Too, too, I mean, it was brand new. It's not enough data there to, to figure it out. But No so, liability. So at this point, we think 15% of the people uh, had adverse events, serious adverse events, and w- including many of them became disabled and some died. If you look up, you know, in the VAERS system, uh, about 16,000 plus, in, uh, and this is low numbers, but this is just on the, the VAERS system that usually only reports about 1%, okay? So on that, there's 16,000 people that died in the United States, died suddenly after being vaccinated for COVID, and also about that many that are permanently disabled. Now, if you if you factor in the, the you know, the, the underestimate is probably somewhere around half a million or a little over half a million people that died from the shot in the United States. So you talk, you're talking about only a, you know a million and some people died as you know with COVID in the United States, but but about half of them have died, or about half the numbers have died from the COVID shot. So that's a big deal. So w- just we'll boil it down to Mississippi. Mississippi, we estimate estimate <coughs> probably over 200,000 because we have about uh, we have over 50% of the people that have been vaccinated okay if it's a 15% that have have had problems then we we look at that's over 200,000 people in Mississippi that are injured to some extent we don't know how much some of them have been to the point they're disabled and and then um, and that that's just the injury part we don't know how many have died suddenly but i can tell you you know i have patients that are permanently disabled that that have been get have gotten on disability in Mississippi from this shot. Okay, and we also we know of people that have died. So we we had two of those people with us, um, uh, parents that we had uh, Ernest Ernest from Texas. His his son, sixteen year old son, took one shot of Pfizer, and within about five days later, he died from uh, myocarditis of his heart. And then we had another lady from New York. Her thirty four year old son took a shot. And died shortly thereafter with an aortic dissection, which is very, very uncommon in a young, healthy person. Both those cases, they got autopsies, and so you know this is and th- this is another thing. If you know other states have done it, we can do it here. I mean, Florida in particular is a state that's, that's just started this. If you die suddenly and you've been vaccinated for COVID, you get an autopsy, and we think that's appropriate. So, what do you say to someone who says, who looks at where we are right now, they look at the timeline of, of things and how things have unfolded, and you you see the unrolling of the vaccines, and you also see the total number of deaths and the total spread of COVID start to dissipate. As the shot goes up, the more people get the shots, the less people are getting the disease. How do you... How, how do you would you say that the vaccine is then effective for most people? Or the, the, the point is, I feel like there's a lot of people that would say, hey, yeah, okay, so some people have died as a result of, of getting the shot, but look at all the millions of people that have been helped and how the disease has, in general, started to subside and we're living in a normal life 
a, a relatively pre-COVID life now. And so what do you say to the person that says, hey, the reason that we got through this, the reason is because we went and got our shot. That's the reason. And so what what do you say to that person yeah. who is... Yeah, I mean, that's a, good, that's a good question, Daniel. I mean, so the virus mutated. Okay, we knew that it would. Right, right. Okay, I mean, it's... it's a, a and I'm not taking any position. Yeah, I'm yeah. speaking no, for I'm, those that... And that's a great question because there's a lot of people out there that would say, would, would bring that question up. Uh, so the virus... It's a virus, okay. Now, now, and we'll go there too because I think this is important. You know, where did the virus come from? Okay, that that's something we could talk about. But well, I think we could talk about that for a <laughs> long time. But there's more and more evidence that, <clears throat> and a lot of us said early on that it, it was not a natural virus. Okay, it didn't come from the wet market. It didn't come from a natural source. Even though Dr. Fauci and several of his friends wrote, you know, put a study uh, in a scientific paper. It said it definitely came from nature. Well, I mean, first of all, there was no way they could know that at that time. I mean, this was early on in early twenty, and so early twenty twenty, and so just that's another r- red flag that came up. Was I mean, why were the how could they be so sure that this came from nature when there were so many scientists out there that looked at it and said, no, the way the sequence is, it doesn't make sense, and so it looks like it was genetically engineered in a lab. Okay. Well, now you see that's that's what looks like it's coming out in, on a national level is that uh, through gain-of-function research, Dr. Fauci, Ralph Barrick in North Carolina, they've been working on this this um, genetically engineered coronavirus for decades, and so. I mean, are you are you implying that that Fauci and that, that they set this thing loose on purpose? Well, I don't know that, but I am t- telling what what uh, what's going to come out is that. That in 2014, during the Obama years, this research was moved. The gain of function research was moved to the Wuhan lab. Okay, and we and gain of function for everybody to know means gain of function is basically you know what Fauci would say, which he, of course he denies any any uh, culpability, and he, he says, that, well, there's no gain of function. That we don't do that. That's not true. That, I mean, what what they what they're saying they do. And they probably do this to a certain extent. Is you know they're g- trying to get ahead of anybody out there that that would d- develop a bioweapon, take a virus, manipulate it, and put it out on America for itself. And so they're saying we're doing the research in the lab such that we can get ahead of them, such that we're we're developing this these bio labs, t- these bioweapons. But and then we're trying to figure out ways to attack it with use medications, et cetera, so we can eliminate it. You know, to protect ourselves. But you know, take a naturally occurring virus, make it worse, and yeah. then. Make sure we have the medications to yeah, treat. Yeah, yeah, that would. That be, is gain of function well, that research. Would, yeah, if if you if the gain of function research is to help the United States, that's correct. Okay, but so what happened was, <clears throat> you know, the um, it's dangerous. It's dangerous science to be dealing with. You know, making these very uh, these super bugs. Super bugs. Yeah. So, um, so it was it was moved to the Wuhan lab. I mean, there's different theories on why that happened, but you know, let's just say we know what what happened is that. That research went to the Wuhan lab in about 2014, and and so they, um, so and we've been helping them there. Ralph, ba- I mean, Do- Dr. Fauci, we've been funding some of that research through a company called EcoHealth. Okay, and and all this uh, is it. Do you uh, object to that kind of research being done? Not if it's to help uh, help us pr- 
and protect us from a bioweapon, but but when you shift, when you put that in the hands of our, I believe China is our enemy. I agree. I don't think they're, you know, ultimately. They don't have our best interest in mind. No, they don't have our best not. So why would you put a this dangerous, virulent superbug into a lab over there that, that we know their lab, that particular lab. Was Has very, lesser controls very, and security. Yeah. And so you put it over there, and <clears throat> with the po- high likelihood it could, could leak, you know, escape accidentally. And so we... So we, we know at this point, or I believe, and I think it's going to be proven, that, that this was, in fact, came from the Wuhan lab. Okay, It's called the Wuhan <laughs> yeah, coronavirus lab. Come on. It's the China virus, right? The I mean, China, China virus. You know, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, it, it, it did come from there, whether it came, was leaked on purpose or not. I think, you know, we may get to that point and, and figure it out. But but it came from there. That That's not hard to figure out. And, uh, I don't think that is either. Yeah. So, so. Well, how do uh, virus mandates hurt Mississippians, and how would your abolishing the mandates help Mississippi? Well, can we go back real quick? Sure, of course. To, yes. to the question he asked, because it's important. Yeah, let, for for people to understand. You want me to say it? Yeah. Let, let me finish on uh, that yeah. question because yeah. I, I did want to get to that. So, getting back to the. You know why? You know, right now, where we're at, COVID has kind of gone away. The the virus is 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 less virulent, less. Right. It's not as a home, and that's a fact. I mean, I haven't. Uh, you know, in the last, I've been treating COVID patients since day one, and I've been treating them out of the hospital setting since uh, for a year, year and over a year. And you know, yes, uh, in early twenty two, people were still getting very even through Omicron. Okay, I think a lot of them had Delta variant left over, but they were getting very sick. Um, you know, at the point I had to put them on oxygen, for example, to keep them at home and keep them doing okay. Um, but I haven't, you know, certainly this year I've had nobody on oxygen. I had one person maybe towards the end of the year in the fall of last year. But the virus is mutating. And, and we can see, you know, it's, we started out one, then we went to the Delta variant, Omicron, this. Bit. So that's a, we know that's happening. And what a virus wants to do is live Okay, it wants to stay in the host, so it's not. It you know the, the natural progression is that it 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 becomes less and less. It, it doesn't want to kill you. It wants to live in you, right? right? So it becomes less virulent over time. So that's the natural process, and so we believe that's why uh, we're at the point we're at. I mean that we we felt that was going to. I mean that's just a natural progression of a virus, and that's and, and it's not because you, we've been vaccinated that that. I mean, some people would argue the vaccination pushed the, uh, you know, it's like giving antibiotics, too many antibiotics to a person, and they, they develop a super bacteria type infection, right. a re- resistant. Well, that was one of the biggest worries about, you know, vaccinating during uh, a pandemic. You know, you, it, you can change, make the virus change to a more virulent type. Okay, so. We did see with Delta. Yeah. So, so bottom line is, you know, the vaccines, we believe there's plenty of evidence that's going to show that, um, well, we know we know Moderna and Pfizer were not truthful w- w- with their studies. Well, there was a lot of money riding on the Yeah, a lot right, of money. You know, and, I mean, you know, if the, if the vaccines were subject to, to greater controls and testing, would you then support vaccines? Or well, are you anti-vax all the way around? Well, no, I'm not necessarily anti-vax all the way around. I, vaccines were not really on my 
from my radar before uh, COVID. I mean, I'm as an ER doctor, you know, most people that are involved with vaccines are pediatricians. I mean, that's that's who gives most of the vaccines, and so um, I, I always felt like you know they they were probably okay, and that um, you know there was. I mean, I, I trusted the CDC and the FDA. You know, I mean, I, I stopped trusting big pharma, the pharmaceutical industry, a long time ago because as a physician, you know, they come to you and say, well, I'll, we have this new drug on the market. This is a great drug, like opioids, for example. 25 mm-hmm. years ago, they came to me and said, oh, yeah, Dr. It's Wilson, not addictive. This is not addictive. Right. I'm like, this oh is these are opioids. I mean, I just finished medical school, and we would give people five at a time only after major surgery because it's addictive. And I'm like, this can't be. Oh, yeah, we've got the Harvard study, the Yale studies. And here, look, it, we've got it. You, doctors are under treating pain. We've got to treat pain more, and we've got the medicines now that can do it. And that's where the f- that fifth vital sign, the smiley sign, came up. And, you know, rates your pain. When you go in, you get your vital, you know, your blood pressure, pulse taken. And what's your pain level? No matter what you're in there for. And, you you know, pick your smiley face, the, you know, or your frowny face. And then that was to tell us as physicians, okay, you're under treating pain. If, it, if they got a frowny face, you better bring up, talk to them about the pain, and you need to treat them. What are they, the, the Sacklers? Is that the Sackler family? Yeah. yeah. Well, there's some. Yeah, and so they enriched mm. themselves, and, uh, you know, and so we see mm. what's happening now. They're, they're, the lawsuits are paying out, uh, you know, all over because it, it was fraud. It, and so, and I could go, I could tell story after story where medicines came out, and, and you know, they said they were, uh, okay, but then they had to be taken off the market. So, I, you know, I think every doctor probably that's been practicing very long would be skeptical of the pharmaceutical industry. But as far as the CDC and the FDA, I, I thought they were pretty good uh, r- regulatory. Honorable boards. operators. Sure. I mean, sure. Uh, but throughout COVID, uh, they have, I mean, literally they have been bought off by big pharma. The CDC and the FDA are doing things that, I mean, they're, it's, I mean, if you get, get right down to it, I mean, yeah, it's big pharma's controlling everything at this mm-hmm. point. And so, um, and, and then looking at the, you know, in, in 1986, and this is, all this is new information I didn't have before COVID, but in 1986, President Ronald Reagan, who, you know, I grew up in that era, I was a teenager when he got elected, and, you know, that's kind of how I, you know, I'm, I'm a Ronald Reagan fan. He, he was, uh, you know. And we'll get into that later. But but anyway, one thing he did at, that, you know, didn't turn out to be good was he signed a bill in 1986 with the pharmaceutical industries that allowed them to police th- their own selves when it came to vaccines. Because they came and said, we can't develop these vaccines because we can't afford the liability, et cetera. And so he said, okay, well, you as long as you do the s- studies in-house and you police yourself, then all is well. Well, we find out throughout covid you know, information came out that the pharmaceutical industries have not been policing themselves on any vaccines. It also but covered them so that no one could sue them should there be injuries. And if there was an injury and that was provable, then they would pay, then the government would pay. Mm-hmm. And they'd have to sign an NDA so nobody would ever know about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, yeah, so at this point, uh, you know, I think we have to look at the the whole vaccine industry and and be a little more uh, suspect. Suspect, yeah. It's tricky. I mean, I'm the suspect when they like on day two, they had a 
a vaccine. Yeah, doesn't it usually take like three to four years to get a vaccine? Yeah, or something at like minimal. That? It's, it's almost yeah. as like, and I'm just thinking out loud here, but it's almost as like Pfizer and these other corporations w- knew that this was going to be coming down the pipeline or something, you know? It's almost like that. I don't know. Oh, well, no, not yeah, to, not I, to I mean, arise suspicion here. Yeah, <laughs> and if you look at the mRNA technology, and, and that's primarily, you know, there's more than one type of vaccine, but most people in the state of Mississippi and, and probably everywhere took an mRNA vaccine. You know, J&J was there for a little while and some, you know, the one shot and you're done. But they kind of took that off the market because they saw the blood clots almost immediately. But the mRNA vaccines, Moderna and Pfizer primarily, that, that's what most people are getting, and certainly in Mississippi. And, um, you know, if you look at that technology, that's a brand-new technology, okay? If you go back, it was it was Moderna, who's a brand-new company that was founded around 2010, and really in, in cahoots with our Department of Defense and DARPA, they developed the mRNA platform, okay? And so... Um, so, yeah, I mean, and then when COVID came out, and, you know, from in China, they, they got the sequence and they put it in their their setup. They already had that's how they could roll out supposedly the vaccine so fast. So, it, yeah, they were already in the in the plans with this mRNA technology. But but the mRNA technology is that's the on, that's the first product Moderna's ever ever put out on the market. OK, and so and now they have they want to put Moderna, mRNA in everything. Okay, I, I think we need to look at that a little closer. Is it a useful platform, though, in general? If not, I mean, does it have it's does it have good uses? I mean, it's not. Things big, that can it's brand new. It's brand. It's a brand new type of uh, with continued testing and thing. Does it have a place in the world? Would you say I, it could? But I, I think pushing it out to uh, uh, people like they did through these vaccines has been a has been one huge experiment. Sure. But it's not just limited to America. This, I mean, people all over the world have well, gotten. Uh, yeah, it's worldwide. I mean, it's been six billion doses given uh, worldwide. But you know, but look at what what's happening in other countries versus America. Other countries are stopping the mandates. I mean, they're all together. They're not recommending shots for certain age groups. Okay, Denmark, uh, different countries. They're they're pushed because, you know, the first of all. And then in the United States, we're still pushing these. We want we push them down to six month olds. Yeah, I, I are in are babies getting COVID vaccines? Yeah, if can, the right? the CDC's recommending down to six month olds. Okay, now each state has to pick it up whether they're going to do it or not. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean that's that's ludicrous in that you know most children, and, and people know this. I mean course i've treated lots and lots of children through the er with with covid and and didn't hospitalize any of them and i think you know if you people know that children don't don't get sick with covid it's usually very limited illness now some people some children have died uh, but usually that they, they're already have uh, they're sickly in, in one way or the other um but um so so yeah that that's just uh you know so that sort of thing is what we need to be talking more about like who who really why would you even push shots uh, on children that don't need them well i mean i assume there's at least some data to support why you would do it there's nothing but you know there's no there's really not it's all almost insanity what's happening 
and everybody, you know, these these uh, national medical associations and boards have been bought off as well. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, I mean, it, they've American Medical Association, they've all become political, uh, uh, basically are one sided, sure. pushing one political narrative, uh, and that's the left political narrative, and in in all areas. I mean, even things that you know. We, we don't need to make uh, medicine about political motives one way or the other. We need to stay neutral in that. And, of course, that's what they say to us when we start pushing back as a, you know, as a conservative-type doctor and say, well, you know, let's um, look at this a little closer. Then they say, well, you're, you're bringing in your ideology into medicine, and that's, you know, not appropriate. But then we say, well, you know, I mean, you're bringing your ideology in that you're saying that, you know, um, um, uh, you know, we c- we could talk about gun control. That's something that that the American Medical Association has pushed down to doctors, and they want us to to ba- basically talk to the patients about. Um, um, you know, I believe it's false narrative, in that you know, the, the pediatric guys, for example, they they want to stop guns because they feel like too many children are being killed by guns they find in their parents' homes. That's a if you looked across the board and saw how many children died in that manner, it's so minuscule. But yet they're going to make a whole national campaign that we as doctors should should uh, promote that to our patients and families that you don't really ha- need to have guns in the house because that's dangerous for your children. How is that appropriate in any realm Like to, to have a doctor – Try to do something like that. Well, the last time I took Thomas, I have a three-year-old, to the doctor, I was asked if we have smoke detectors. I mean, yeah. they. Yeah. yeah. So they can bring in anything. as a. You know. So if, you, if you're elected, no more vast, uh, vac- vast, no more mask mandates, no more vaccine mandates. Yeah. I mean, I, that's an individual. You know, the government's. You know, I believe in a you know small government. I, you know, I don't believe the government has the right to to tell us uh, each specific detail on how we should live. I mean that. Oh, we, this is this is the I see what you're talking about the yeah. the splitting of the political uh, influence here because yeah. you're probably pro life, I would imagine. Yeah, and, we're, we're and they're going to say, well, if you don't get to tell me, you know, to stay out of my life, I'll decide if I want a vaccine. Yeah. But then they're going to say, well, you're trying to tell people they can't go have an abortion if they want one. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point. You know, I think everybody has um, the, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, including the baby that's inside the mother. Okay. So I don't think the mother, I mean, I just don't think the mother has the right to take another life, even if it's, in, if it's not hers. It's a, it's a baby. And so that's how I look at pro-life. Everybody has the right life and, and i think a baby inside a mother's womb is, is a life sure and also in the instance of rape or incest you feel the same about that well you know there's always we were talking about this before yeah there's always I mean, a gray area but look <laughs> i've been a doctor. as governor what's your stance <laughs> i've on been that? a doctor for a long time it's a very rare thing that a woman gets pregnant from rape or incest but it can happen and you know i think that's individualized you know um and that's that's where the patient and their doctor comes into play. I, I mean, I don't think there's any, um, you know, that that's just something uh, personal between their, their the doctor and the patient. 
and uh, but I, I, as a government, we shouldn't be making the laws uh, to to allow um, just any to allow the onslaught of baby. But doesn't that put you in a in a pickle? I mean, a philosophical pickle. I mean, if if life starts at conception, then the product of rape or incest is a lot. I mean, that's murdering that child. My aunt was a product of a rape. I'm certain glad that abortion wasn't an option. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So your stance is no abortion period. No abortion period. That's my stance, you know. But uh, would you say it would be wise for birth control to be easily or more more easier to to get our hands on or do you think government yeah. plays a role in contraception or do you think government should just stay on out of it and yeah well i mean i think government once again i believe in a small government and um, you know I, I believe the responsibility is up to the individual and you know my personal belief is i don't believe people should you know i believe sex is reserved for marriage and if people stuck to that you know, there would be a lot less problems. Right. And so, you know, but I realize that's, you know, that's the ideal. That's the standard. But um, but that's where I'm at with it. So I, I, that's what I believe. And so. Uh, would you advocate for uh, reproductive education in schools or it's abstinence only? Uh, that's, that's where my stance is. I, I believe that, um, you know, I think sex is reserved for, for marriage. And I think that's one of our biggest problems we have right here in the state and really all over the nation is we have a lot of unwed mothers that are having children that um, that are young, out of wedlock, and there's no, no – and that, that carries over to, to the children growing up in a family that, that doesn't have a family. And so that, that creates the problems all the way around. Would you would you be willing to work with the LGBT community moving on to to uh, make sure that um, all all humans have equal rights, or are you more along the line of marriages should be man and woman type of thing? Where do you stand on that issue? Yeah, well, I believe the marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, that I'm just yeah, I, that's what I believe. So you know, I think uh, you know, I don't. You know, I'm loving to all humans, and I think everybody has a, has the right to do whatever they want to do, as long as they're not harming others. But and that includes if you you know if you have a lifestyle that you choose, uh, LBGT life lifestyle, that's fine. But don't push it on everyone else. Okay, it's that's a, a, a small minority of the people if you look across the, the board, and and so I don't believe that that should be pushed on our children. Certainly not in the school systems, and so um, so yeah, I'm I, I believe that that marriage is between one man and one woman, and I think you know sex is reserved for for the family unit uh, inside of marriage. So if you're if you're outside of marriage having sex, whether it's man having sex with man or woman with woman, et cetera, I think that's where that's where problems arise. Okay, I think that creates an unhappy environment for themselves. And then you bring in, uh, well, I mean, it just doesn't common. I mean, common sense. If everybody was was um, that way, I mean, it, there would no, be no more us, right? I mean, 
There's no precarious. It would slow procreation down. It would slow procreation <laughs> down a little bit. That. I mean, I so that. I mean, that's just a common sense. I mean, where are they going to get the baby? You know, I, I understand if they want to adopt and et cetera, but at some point, you know, if they eliminate um, traditional family and marriage, where where do the ba- babies come from if they want to adopt? I mean, right. it, it just doesn't make sense if you if you if you carry it on out the full narrative. Right. While yeah. we're on this topic, speaking of the LGBTQ, the the trans community. Um, say, um, uh, what there's, you know, and, um, they're, they're doing a lot of work around this in Florida right now, which I applaud, but what, what would you say about, um, doctors, um, allowing or helping children below the age of 18, uh, pursue, um, very potent drugs and sexual reassignment surgeries? What is your stance on that? It's not really, I mean, there's a lot of trans people out there, and this is a a very hot topic right now. Um, So I'm curious what your stance is on that. Do you think that that, um, sexual reassignment should be, um, you should wait until your your mind is fully developed to take those, you know, massive puberty blockers? Or do you think it's okay for children to, to, if they say at the age of four, no, I'm a man, but I know that I am a woman. Would you say that it's okay for that individual to to get puberty uh, blocking drugs? What's your stance on that? Uh, well, your thoughts? Yeah, that's appropriate. And and I may let Brooke come in here. I'm, I'm doing all the talking, but but yeah. So um, you know, Mississippi has just passed a law that, I, and I'm 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 okay with that. I think it's it's something that most Mississippians wanted, and that was that um, any doctor that um, tries to give out hormone therapies or, or um, surgical therapies to anybody under 18 to change their sex, loses their medical license. That's appropriate. Right. Um, because, you know, I just think that children, like you said, they're, they're still growing. I mean, they don't know what they want to be when they're, you know, young or even teenagers. That I think if, if you're an adult and you want a sex change and you want to do whatever, that's fine. But I, I don't think the government should be paying for it. Taxpayer dollars should not be paying for your sex changes. I agree with that 100%. too. One hundred percent, because it, it becomes it's a lifelong problem. Right. You look at these folks; they're going to be in therapy. They're going to be on medicines, having surgical procedures for a lifetime. They want to get involved in that. That's on them, not on us as, as general society. They are such a small uh, group of folk, and if we all have to support. And that is a very big expense to put on society. So, when when Mississippi passed that law, did you think I'm for smaller government, and this is seeming like bigger government here, as far as the the controlling what doctors can and can't do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's an argument where you know you 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 want to limit the government the government's role, but. I mean, I'm sensing you've got this real libertarian spirit, like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and you do what you're going to do, and as long as we're not hurting each other, it's fine. Well, to a certain extent, but, but you know, sometimes that, uh, you know, unfortunately in our, in our environment that we have now, um, protecting people is, is, is a big part of what government has to do. And, uh, you know, um, and the medical community out there, unfortunately, um, some of our smartest, once it, once again, we go back to the AMA and the, all these uh, board certification groups. They're pushing this this uh, transgender surgery and hormone therapy onto children. I mean, it's so 
Look, I think it blows my mind. We have it to really fight does. back. It we does. have to fight back. I, I would like to consider myself pretty progressive, and I'm probably, yeah. as in respect to you, far more liberal. Yeah. But even I can't fathom how it is permissible for a young teenager to determine that they need puberty blockers. I mean, puberty serves an, an evolutionary function in helping a person mature. You know, I, I feel a little silly bringing this up, speaking to a physician, you'll know better than I, about the body needs what happens during puberty in order to achieve maturation, does it not? I mean... It's it's yeah. a predatory practice. And, and the predatory leanings come in in social media, in culture, in everything that we see on TV and in music. All of these different things are leading people to question their identity. And then you, you have a, let's say you have a, a boy and he sees all these big, strong guys on, on the phone, on his social media. He's like, man, I'll never be that, but I might can be this. And these people tell me that it'll be awesome and they're going to love me and have rainbows. And it's just, it's like Candyland over here. And they promise to love me forever. You're so brave. You're so brave. And all this applauding. And they it's almost like a trophy in Hollywood right now when you have a trans kid. I mean, they're promoting it in a predatory way. It's like a new fashion. And it's a trend. They, it's it a, is it's a, trend. a trend. And they're not telling them the opposite side of the fact that if you do this, your bones are not going to mature. You're going to have osteoporosis and arthritis. You're going to possibly get scoliosis. You're never, ever going to have... You know, the intimacy that a husband and wife experience, you don't know who you are. You know, I mean, would you ask any 12 or 13 or 14-year-old kid for a job advice or for, you know, something that's going to impact not only them but their future families? Right. Or, you know, and the, and the parents are held hostage. You know, they're telling them, well, you want a dead daughter or a live son? You know, they, they use this emotional blackmail. It's predatory. And if you look at nations that have been doing this much longer than us, they have a huge number of regretful people that are slaves to medications that they'll have to take fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 a year for the rest of their lives. The hormone therapy. All of that. And you can say hormone therapy, but it's cancer drugs. And it's very strong, and they have lots of side effects. So they're just not telling them everything. Look, to, to allow a child to be able to make a, such a massive decision like that is just unbelievable. Look, I'm, I'm 38 years old, ladies and gentlemen. I'm 38 years old. I didn't know who I was until two years ago when I got sober. That's, that's a fact. That's a fact. So to allow a child to, to make this decision that's irreversible, you cannot go back. I've seen numerous videos when I was I, I'm off TikTok now because I just it was too it's much corrosive. it was corrosive it really for me. Is. but what I was finding was there's there were tons and tons and tons of of people talking about how um, you know they they had they had gone through the sexual reassignment surgery as a young child and now they're in their 30s and they're absolutely regretting it and th these stories are starting to come and come and come and just that that's proof positive. You you need to be you you need a little bit of time to figure out who you are before you make a decision like that. Look, we've got we've got a gentleman. Well, 
BJ is coming on, um, and he's a member of the trans community, um, and he was he he has been who he is since day one, and and I I would encourage you guys to listen to that episode when it's coming. When is that? It's, it's, it's a few weeks away. A few weeks away. But anyways, he he was he was. Th- this is this is not a trend for him. You know, this is that is that's who he is. Like he he believes that that's just who he is. Um, and so I I. I my, I, I, I try to be as understanding and compassionate towards folks like that. I mean, just the most incredible person. You'll, you'll see. But, yeah. um, you know, the allowing a child to make such a grand decision is it's, it's not a good thing. I, I can't see how that can be healthy for anyone. Yeah. <sighs> kind of worked with that. that but. Well, look, we're buzzing along with some pretty – Pretty impressive. Gosh, it's already been going for fifty three minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, what? How would Governor Doctor Witcher be better than Governor Tate Reeves? Well, you know, Governor Tate Reeves, he really did not stand up against the enemy. Okay, the enemy was in his camp, and uh, do you mean Satan or you mean? I, I mean the. Well, I mean it depends on where you go with that, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about Biden. Okay, and Doctor yeah. Fauci. Okay, they were um, they ran our state the last three years. Okay, all right. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to be a little pushback on that. I mean, this isn't the most blue state that's ever been. Yeah. How did Biden and Fauci run the state? Well, they ran it with, through Dr. Thomas Dobbs and our state doctors, government doctors. They did exactly what the CDC, Dr. Fauci, Biden was pushing the whole time. Okay. Um, Biden sent his White House COVID team doctor, vaccine coordinator, to Mississippi in August of 21. And he met with our public health officials, our state doctors, government doctors. And they, they, the talking points went right then, okay? And from that moment on, it became this is the pandemic of the unvaccinated, okay? So they pushed that the vaccines were the only way to stop the pandemic, Okay, that was it. You get vaccinated, get vaccinated, and we'll we'll be okay. If you don't get vaccinated, we're going to die. You know, Trump also was a fierce vaccine promoter. I mean, it's not just. I mean, Fauci was there with Trump too. So, yeah, he was. And 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 you know, we have a problem with Trump. I there. see you've got you've got DeSantis notes here. So I, I'm yeah. Well, we've been following Florida. You know, DeSantis did something very important. He brought in Dr. Joseph Latipo to be a Surgeon General. And, and, and <coughs> those two guys, Joseph Latipo in particular, was able to push back on the government narrative, government big pharma narrative, and try to get some common sense <coughs> going in on, on things that say that, hold up, wait a minute. Just like the, these shots for children, COVID shots for children, they're not having those in Florida. Okay. And so, and things, you know. Early treatment of COVID. You know, there's treatments for COVID that the government would not allow doctors to use. Oh, ivermectin. Well, that's that's one. Many. And, and, and you know, that came from our state. You, you realize the whole thing about horse dewormer and all that, that, where the FDA put a horse on the picture and say, you're not a horse, don't take horse medicine. Right. That came from our state. What did? That, that whole that agenda, campaign? that ad campaign. Uh, the 
I didn't, I didn't see that. Yeah. Well, our state health officer, our, our Surgeon General, we don't have a Surgeon General. Thomas Center, Dobbs. Thomas Dobbs. He went around, he, he said, and this was in, in the fall, right after the Biden coordinator came in, uh, he went on and said that people are dying from horse dewormer in the state of Mississippi. They're overdosing from ivermectin that they're getting at the tractor supply shop. Well, was that true? It was not true. It was a lie. Is it possible to overdose on ivermectin? Very, very hard to overdose on ivermectin. Like a truckload full of that? Truckload. But but what had actually happened was there were lots of calls to the toxicology line about ivermectin. But people were calling in to find out what was the right dosage of of the horse uh, type, you know, horse pace. Look, I had two dogs that got uh, heartworms, yeah. and I used to give them ivermectin from the vet supply place. Yeah. I mean, it, so it had, it, from the beginning, it had a, I mean, you got a marketing problem because I absolutely used to give that to my dogs. And yeah. Well, what yeah. they failed to let people know is it's, it's an award-winning medicine that's been used for a long time. It actually won the Nobel Prize for use in humans. Right. For so it has a lot of different mechanisms of action that also happen to be, you know, useful in animals too. Yeah. So, so at the time he was saying that it was well known throughout scientific literature that ivermectin did work for COVID. Did work. Did for work. Co- did work how, for COVID. How would they have known that? How I mean, would, have, have, have they known? been doing studies on this? Studies on yes. This uh, there, there, all over the world. There's been multiple studies done. And, on on and the treatment of COVID with ivermectin since the pandemic or before so, the pandemic? Well, since the pandemic, but this they were using this in. I mean, look at other countries that third world countries that w- have been using this medication on a regular basis, even before people. I mean, in a lot of countries, they they give this for for uh, to deworm them on a periodic basis, right? And so, so a lot of these countries just um, you know started doing giving it for COVID. And it, it, it works, and the, there are studies there that show it works. And so, um, and there's a doctor, there's been doctors, there's multiple doctors here in Mississippi that have used. Not only, hi, you know, they started out, hydroxychloroquine is another one that works, okay? These are cheap, off-label medications being used for COVID. Vitamins and supplements, vitamin C, D, zinc, et cetera, work. And so, you know, that's how, when, Tell I mean. about Dr. Corcoran. Yeah, I'm getting. I'm going to get to Dr. Corcoran. So, Dr. Cor- there's a group of Greenville doctors that uh, were treating COVID from day one with with these type of medications, including ivermectin. How did How did they know to like the doctors? I, yeah, I, I mean, it just seems a bit of a stretch to go from this thing will kill heartworms and dogs. I think maybe it'd be good for a respiratory infection. I mean, that just seems. I don't. It's know. a big yeah. jump. But how do we? How, know? how would a physician in, have intuited that? Okay, this is Yeah, well, we could go back through all that. It's the same, you know, I could, like hydro- hydroxychloroquine, for example. We'll just go take that one, for example, because, uh, you know, I was using hydroxychloroquine from day one in the hospital setting. How did you know to do that? Because the scientific literature shows if we go back through, remember we were talking about gain-of-function research? Yes. And we were talking about they were developing these 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 uh, uh, coronaviruses by, uh, type, you know, through gain- genetic engineering. Well, they, they're the ones that showed that hydroxy, they, they were trying to find a method to kill it if it got loose. You know, that's part of their research. They had published that hydroxychloroquine was, was an antidote. So they already knew how to treat this. They already knew. They. I mean, and, and the so scientific doc- community at large already yeah, knew and how so to treat Yeah, and so these doctors, doctors all, one, for, there was a doctor in France that, that first found it, then Dr. Zeb Zelenko, 
he started. I, I, okay. Yeah, well, he was. He was. I believe you. And he's the one that treated Trump. And they, then it became. It, they they turned this all into a political uh, arena. Then yeah. why did Trump get the vaccine? What? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was that part him. of this dog and pony I, show? I, I or? Mean, I, I, you know, my thought is, <coughs> you know, I think um, Operation Warp Speed. I think Dr. Fauci and many of those folks duped uh, Trump. Tell them about Corcoran. Yeah, we'll get. So Corcoran has treated over 10,000 COVID patients right here in Mississippi, Dr. Robert Corcoran, with early intervention, multi-drug therapies, including ivermectin, and none of them died. We're talking about patients up in the Delta with lots of comorbidities, um, you know. Uh, and so he tried to get that information to all the doctors throughout Mississippi and had a very difficult time doing it because Dr. Thomas Dobbs wanted to silence him. And this was around, this was in the fall of 21, when they were pushing vaccines at all costs. This is the only way out of the pandemic. And so if any doctors were treating with anything else, they were pushed back. Now, now probably what was going, I mean, some, this is, you know, there's different theories on why all this was happening. But one that probably is very, could be the whole reason, is that you could, this, all this was happening through emergency use, use authorization. Okay, these vaccines couldn't be pushed out unless, unless, if there was another treatment for COVID that was proven to, to work, you could not roll these vaccines out under emergency use. Well, if you're a doctor, yeah, you're not required to dispatch a certain protocol to fix something. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Well, 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 you can lose your license for for telling a patient to go take ivermectin and hydrochloroquine. Yeah, well, uh, not previous, but during COVID, yeah. I mean, that and that's the whole. Part of, of another thing that never didn't make sense. Why would you silence good doctors that are out there on the front lines trying to do their best on treating patients? Where you have these government doctors who are not not even treating COVID patients, they're not even seeing patients. Why would you not interact with those frontline doctors to say what's well, working, guys? I mean, the whole people complain. They say, oh, "You don't know what's in the vaccine." I don't know what's in. The penicillin I take. Yeah. I mean, I'm told it'll work, and I'm told I've got this infection, and this will fix it. I mean, there's a certain reliance on studies and peer uh, scrutinized studies that are done. I mean, you can't just. I mean, we rely on physicians to know these things. Yeah. That these medications are better to treat this, and there's a certain reliance on the studies to have been done. But how do you? How are you going to reckon what is a permissible side effect or not? I mean, I know, happen to know some people that are, you know, that that have cancer right now and they're taking chemo. I mean, chemo ravages your body, mm-hmm. but it also may kill the cancer too. I mean, there's there's a gray area here. I mean, just because some people were injured by a vaccine, we shouldn't just throw the whole vaccine away. I mean, I'm. I imagine some people were injured by smallpox vaccines, but why do I not have a smallpox scar? Because the vaccine worked for my parents' generation. I mean, how do you how do you determine what is a permissible? Yeah, well, well, first of all, we need to get get to the the discussions to find out what is the percentage of people that got injured from this, these vaccines because we don't know that exactly, and, and 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 we can't even discuss that. That's the problem. Well, somebody it, should be dispatched with finding out. I mean, yeah, this is something I mean, that it, could it, be known. If, they, if there's no problem with their narrative to say that these are safe, super safe, and et cetera, and they work, 
then they want, would want to discuss all this, correct? But that, that's, that's where you have to start wondering, why are they silencing these doctors that are wanting to just discuss these things, like myself? How that, are they silenced? Well, uh, the Mississippi State Licensure Board put a policy in that said any doctor in Mississippi that dis- that's discusses, uh, any uh, that talks about uh, COVID vaccines in a negative light runs the risk of losing their medical license. They put that out in, in right there when the vaccinator COVID white Biden White House, House team doctor flew down here. That was uh, the next month they put that out. So you believe the Mississippi State Board of Medicine yes. that has been corrupted by the improper influence of Biden at Al. Well, it goes with the AM, the medical boards. Okay, they they look to the American Medical Association and these boards that fall under the American Medical Association, the pediatric boards, the OBGYN boards, the internal medicine board. All those boards have been, yeah, have definitely been overtaken. Okay, and and they're the ones that that our licensure board has relied. They said. They use that as an example. All these boards are together on this, so we're together on this. Are you going to get in trouble for coming here and saying all this? I it's mean, possible. It, yeah, it's, it's possible. But I've been saying it for a year and a half, and so um, you know. Um, did somebody who who at the who at the licensing? Who who do, from whom does a doctor get a license in Mississippi? Can, to let me just say something. Can I say well, sure? Let me, let me finish this point while I'm out. So. So yeah, so yeah, I mean, I they put that policy in too at around the time I was speaking out. Were they bought off? Well, I don't know about that, but but some people would argue they were. But the um, so I had to hire a lawyer to get them. To, they started investigating me, the licensure board, about me putting out uh, misinformation. Okay, and of course that they stopped, and then they they didn't come after me anymore, and they haven't come after me anymore. But I just, you know, I was working with the legislators this this uh, first of, uh, of this year to put in a bill for freedom of speech for the doctors so that the, the doctors could talk about what they were seeing with the vaccine, the vaccine injured, or, or, or to give informed consent to their patients because patients are coming to them and say, Doc, what do you, tell me about the vaccine. What do you think? Well, a lot of doctors are like, well, CDC says take it, so take it. But they haven't taken it. I mean, well, you want your doctor to be honest with you, right? I mean, when you go talk to your doctor, you want your doctor to give you their thoughts, their experience. From my, you know, from my experience, well, I, I didn't take it, so you don't. Doctors aren't willing to do that because they don't. They're afraid. Okay, so we believe uh, the freedom of speech bill, and, and it didn't get passed. It didn't even make it out of committee. But one thing we did get from that is they redacted that, that policy out of the, the medical license board policy. They redacted it. So where you won't get be you won't be censured or sanctioned. Well, just uh, yeah, if you <coughs> give out COVID vaccine misinformation. So we we'd like to have more than that because they can put that policy back in tomorrow. And what that did that shut down the discussion. See that they sent the letter when they put that policy in. They sent a, an email out to every doctor in Mississippi. So they all got the word that you need to be quiet. If you talk about ivermectin. Well, if you talk about COVID misinformation. COVID vaccine, uh, COVID vaccines primarily was what, but it did say further along, and this goes for anything, okay? So that you basically said if you don't stick with the, the government the narrative, narrative, then you're going to get in trouble. Well, when they redacted it uh, <coughs> several weeks ago, they did not send that letter out to all Mississippi doctors. So there's still a lot of doctors out there that probably don't even know that was redacted. So 
So anyway, this is this is so this is a problem. I, you know, this one of the many problems we have. But um, uh, there was something else I was going to say. But go ahead. Well, I think it's a grave concern that we have a Pfizer employee. Um, what what position is she serving? Yeah, the our current governor put a, a Pfizer employee on the board of health, which oversees our health department. Yeah, I I was blown away when you said that at McLean last weekend. That yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Some just doesn't add up. Yeah, because I mean, we know for sure Pfizer. They wanted seventy-five years. They wanted their data covered up, and the FDA was helping them do this. Why would you want your data, scientific data, these studies you had done to see if these vaccines were safe and effective? Why would you want that covered up from the public for seventy-five years? Because there was twelve hundred and twenty-three dead people within a month. Yeah, so there was lots of red flags that showed these vaccines do injure and even kill people. And so they wanted to cover that up. They were sued and that came out, but you know, that came out early 22. Okay. And we, we have a doctor that's, that's with us on Mississippi against the mandates and they, they literally, that's what they, they're a retired physician and they spent their time, Dr. Carol Hill, she's a retired OBGYN doctor, but she wrote multiple letters to all of our politicians showing them all this stuff throughout the, every month when stuff would come up. And this was one of the things she showed that Pfizer, she, in her documents, it was 10 pages of adverse events, single space that she sent in and said, this is all the adverse events that, that you could have from a Pfizer vaccine. When our state health officer was saying they're super-duper safe, we would never even discuss any of these risks. Okay, So we have a problem with that. You need to be balanced. You need to talk about both sides. I mean, you can't. So that that's where we just feel like that, that – um, it was not a balanced situation. We we actually have many injured people in Mississippi. Their their lives have been. I don't want to say destroyed because that's that sounds too hopeless. But their lives have been completely changed forever. And um, you walk into, if you're a missionary or going in to get your shot because you you're you have to have a shot to travel, and you take it and then you you leave in an ambulance and you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. And this happens. And it's, it's a financial burden. It's not just being in a wheelchair. It's lots of other problems, that neurological problems and issues that have happened to this particular patient. But she's not, it's not rare. It's not rare. And people are not told that there's any risk. Yeah, I mean, if it happens to you, even if it is, is rare, I mean, I'm not, we're not saying everybody's injured because that's obviously not the case. I mean, 80, I mean, a lot of our family members and close People have been vaccinated, doesn't seem to have any problems, okay? But if it happens to you, then it's a problem. You know, if your child dies after being vaccinated, that's a problem. If you get sick and are disabled after you get back, that's a problem. And we know that's happening. But isn't that going to stymie any kind of medical progress where the standard is this can cause no adverse reactions in any one person? Like penicillin. Killed somebody today, probably somewhere. They went it. They got it and went into anaphylactic shock, yeah. and, and they is died. Is there an acceptable not, threshold? Yeah, but you have to be truthful. I mean, one thing I don't think pharmaceutical uh, industry should be advertising all over TV. That that's I, I just don't think that's a. I don't think they should advertise on TV because I hate their commercials. But oh, yeah, yes. I, I get but, you. I mean, but I mean, you know, this is. Um, I mean, let's face the facts. The pharmaceutical industry, the bottom line for most of them is to make money. 
It's not to take care of the patients. I'm not saying all the medicines are, are, are not useful, but, you know, it's just like, I mean, that's probably why I, I settled into more to be an ER doctor than a family practice doctor out in the rural setting is because, you know, every year or, you know, there's always a new medicine coming out. Okay, oh, this is, this is the new medicine that's going to cure everything. Hey, you know, I always use the older, cheaper medicines because most of my patients, they couldn't afford the new ones anyway. Uh, you know, and, and it's all about, you know, they're very expensive medications, a lot of, a lot of the stuff. And that's, um, and, and so, you know, it's, um, so the pharmaceutical industry is, is a very huge industry in that, I mean, just as far as government lobbyists, they are the biggest lobbyist group, no doubt about it. If you take the next three associated with them and combine them, they still outspend more than the, their next. Oh, time. I don't doubt that. It's a huge, I don't doubt it and it's bit. and that's just been over the last twenty years. Well, there's I mean, too much money there for there not to be some corruption and yeah. some. Yeah. But I mean, I would, I, I think y'all would probably agree. I mean, everybody's life is made better by modern, by modern, modern pharmacology. There are people that do not die from things that they would have died from fifty or hundred years ago because of medicine. Well, I, I would, yeah, to maybe to a certain extent, but biggest argument why people live longer is because um, they're not probably exposed to is such a, a hard lifestyle as they once were. I mean, just cleanliness, being able to bathe, hygiene, uh, etc. Indoor plumbing. <laughs> I mean, the, the, I mean, go to, uh, you know, I mean, we've. Um, so, <coughs> yeah, I'm not totally against um, against the pharmaceutical industry, but. But I'm 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 leery on a lot of the, you know. I mean, we could look, look at if you start having chest pains, are you gonna eat an aspirin or are you just gonna well, you just gonna roll the dice? Well, you know, I mean, first of all, I try to live very healthily. You know, I mean, I you know that's the biggest thing, is um, you know just trying to to keep healthy. You know, I'm I'm in my mid fifties, but you know, and I and I'm, I I've recently lost twenty pounds, and because you know I, I'm. And I, and that's a struggle for all of us Mississippians. There's a lot of good things to eat around here. The fried chicken knows it's good. Yeah. Lava Hamels. Yeah. So, but you know, uh, being overweight is a is a major risk risk factor, and uh, and that's certainly you know here in Mississippi we have a problem with that. And so we that's something we need to talk about. We need to talk about things to get healthy. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, just being outside, being in the sunlight, etc. You know, so many of these these normal things when we talk about infections, like washing hands, you know, when you cough, you know, you do like that. Now, that would help a little bit. So, um, and then if you're sick, if you're running a fever, you just stay home, okay? You don't lock people down and say, well, uh, if you get COVID, if you got COVID and you leave your house, then we're going to arrest you. But isn't it... I have always appreciated that the big fear about COVID was that too many people are going to be in the hospital and then there's not going to be any room in the inn, and there's going to be nowhere to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I can conceive of how if a new bug rolls into the community and more people are hospitalized, that that's going to be a large drain on the available resources. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, yeah, and and that was a that was a f uh, a big concern at first. Okay, and even you know we were planning. Okay, how do we take care of all these people that are going to come? I mean, in did there? you notice an influx of people well, into the hospital? I, I, you know, we'll, we'll we'll talk about it. So 
Here I am. I'm the medical director of a small rural hospital in Yazoo City. That's where I was. King's daughter. Yeah, King's daughter. Um, I was the medical director. Well, now it's called Baptist. Okay. Yeah, Baptist. It'll always be King's daughter. King's daughter. Yeah. So, uh, and so I was there as the medical director of the ER and the hospitalist program. So I, it was a three-year contract, and I started it in 2019. So when COVID hit, you know, so, yeah, we didn't know. We, we felt like, well, we needed to prepare. And, and we started talking about how, how would we do this, put tents outside. We even talked about commandeering the, uh, commandeering the local hotel, that, that we would take that over and, and, and see patients there. We were, and I was involved in these discussions early on. But then what we saw happen was across the board, our ERs dropped 40%. Across the board, 40%. Because people were just staying all, home? All over the United States. Yeah, nobody would come to the ER. They were afraid. The people that would normally come didn't come. So the only patients we had were COVID patients. Okay, for the, not only, but I mean, so, and this was across the nation, it dropped 40%. We were laying people off. We were cutting people's pay and, and you know, et cetera. I mean, we, we, the doctors got cut. I mean, we normally get holiday pay and travel pay. They c- were cutting pay because, hey, when you drop 40% in your volume, I mean, something has to go. And so that's what happened in reality. Now, when, then when you saw here at UMMC, they brought in Samaritan's Purse, and they put in all these big tents out there in the parking lot, and they were preparing for the worst. And that was during, the, during Delta. Well, they didn't use those tents, but they didn't tell you that in the end. Okay, They never had to use them. And, and as far as being beds being overtaken, and I can tell you what happened, too, a lot, during, especially as we moved along COVID, we didn't have any nurses but it wasn't the bed problem. It was because we didn't have any nurses d- available. Where so were the nurses? They were laid off? They were le- they, a lot of them went traveling because they would get paid a whole lot of money elsewhere. Some of them just retired and said, I, you know, this, this whole COVID, it's craziness. You know, and there was infighting just like we. Where were they traveling to? All over the country. To other places? New York, York, California, wherever. We, have a, we had a client. At the law firm where I worked, there was a travel yeah. nurse, and he said, yeah. "I make more than the doctors do." Oh, they he were ma- they were making it. tons of money, and so, so we were struggling. And you always in, in a rural setting always have problems getting nurses and, and anybody doctors, any healthcare workers. But, but, um, so yeah, that we were closing beds down. People were clo- they were closing beds down here in Jackson in these hospitals because they didn't have the nurses to cover them, and so that was that was more of a problem. And, and as far as is tying up beds, listen, every year in the state of Mississippi, in January, especially by January, there's no beds available in, in, in Jackson, okay? And they line up. It, you just you can't get them transferred. It's hard. So, so that's not unusual at any time, okay? What they need to be doing is expanding the hospitals to a certain level. Okay. More beds. Well, more beds, and, and certainly in times of need. But and that all goes back to our health department. They're the ones that have the certificate of need. You right. You, you can't put a hospital. Can you in. just pop one up? You, where you can't want even it. put a, a, a MRI machine out there unless you get a certificate of need. Okay, that that needs to change. Okay, we, we need to have. Uh, you know, I don't believe the government should be running all of our hospital settings and, and hospitals and, and et cetera. And if they had it their way, I mean, if you I'm, unleash for profit. 
I mean, no government oversight on the hospitals is just going to be, look, if you think you can make some money, get at it. I believe, I believe in free enterprise. I think it always works in the end. And, uh, you know, I don't – the government and all its red tape is not the answer to, to our health care crisis. Not here in Mississippi and not anywhere. Yeah. We hadn't talked about recovery. We hadn't <laughs> well, this is just it. as good. <laughs> <laughs> Look, don't yeah. do drugs. Yeah, don't do drugs. <laughs> Everybody can agree with that. Yeah. No, drugs are bad. Tell tell us um tell us what uh real quick in just a few minutes. We've got yeah. we've, we've gone over. We got uh, we've got plenty of time, but I don't want to keep you guys too much, but yeah. um what what's what qualifies you to to uh, to be one of us if if you know what I mean? What was yeah. it like what happened and, and what's it like now with that on that side of things? Yeah, so so I'm in recovery, just like uh, these guys here, Daniel and Drew. And, um, you know, my, I grew up here in Mississippi. I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, but I spent a lot of time in Yazoo City. It's a great place. Yeah. We're, I don't know how old you are. You're probably a little younger than me. but Just a little bit. We rode up and down Grand Avenue and around Goose Egg Park. A and lot. then swung out to the Wolf Lake and read, ran yeah. the levees, raced the Broncos. And, That's it. And, That's you, know, it. Uh, you know, hit cows and – all that stuff, and and I grew up with my cousins, and we were and they were, we were rowdy, you know. I came, of course, we were rowdy on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, but when we got up there to Yazoo, you know, I was rowdy with those guys, and same way. It's either rowdy on a shrimp boat or rowdy in the turn row. Yeah, that's right. It was a rowdiness going on, and then Tupelo was the same way. I grew up over there with my cousins, and so, you know, um, I grew up in the seventies, early seventies. I was small, but as seventies, mid seventies, I was a young teenager and like many of those back in those days we everybody was experimenting with something and so you know i started experimenting with um with marijuana was 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 what i really what i got stuck with and um that was my drug of choice until i quit and when i was 44 years old but i also drank and um started drinking early and uh, and as my addictions progressed that's uh drinking became a pretty much everyday thing as right. well and so, in the end, you know, I, I was, I was forty four. That was going on thirteen years ago, and um, you know, I was spiritually uh, uh, bankrupt, and um, emotionally, and and um, financially, everything. I mean, I, I was there. Like you know, we hear the stories when you when you know uh, folks that are in recovery. I mean, I was I was no different than anybody else. You know, I mean, I was uh, I was broke in so many ways, and. Um, but I didn't know I needed help, you know, and I think that's another common thing that happens with folks that are in recovery is that, um, hey, you know, I thought my using, I thought that was the best thing I had going for me. You know, I was like, well, if you had my life, you'd be using too, you know, I'm under a lot of stress, you know, I'm an ER doctor. Perpetual victim. I'm a perpetual victim. I have, you know, I mean, my kids are growing up, you know, they're, they're off in college, you know, I'm, I'm just battling them day and that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I have so many problems, so many problems. And so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I, I viewed things. And, and, uh, I actually, um, you know, and I look back now and, and I, and we talk about the licensure board, but I actually lost my medical license because I, I had to do a drug screen at where I was working because I was, you know, they felt like, well, something's, he's, he's, he's a little off, but, um, so I, I lost my medical license and that was a wake up call for, well, it really, it wasn't a wake up call immediately. I was still like, well, you know, I'm still not, you know, that's, I don't have that problem. 
But uh, long story short, a couple months after that, I, I was I agreed to go into rehab and to get into recovery and basically to get my medical license back is why I started. And and my family were like, "Had you got to you know you need to get your license back." And so, and that's the best thing that happened to me. I mean, looking back, I appreciate the process that I went through to to have to get sober. And because it was when I was in that rehab facility is when my world stopped. I didn't have to worry about anything else. I didn't have to worry about uh, my job or or my kids or my, any problems. And I, just, I focused on myself, and I started working the 12 steps. By that time, I had a, a sponsor. I had stopped drinking and using for, um, I guess, about six months by the time I went to, into rehab. But I wasn't, you know, and I had started going to AA some. And so, um, but I hadn't started working the steps yet. So once I got into the, you know, in the situation where I, I could really focus on myself and be around others, and and uh, yeah, I started working the steps and um, worked the steps while I was in in the rehab facility, and then when I got out of there, uh, I went into aftercare, and um, and you know just and it you know and it's it's just been a, a whole different life. If you would have told me that if you if you stopped using and got into recovery, your whole life would have changed. You, I mean, they did tell you, right? They told you, but I was like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But you had you had you had been what I've I've been through, you right. know. I mean, I had I had grown, I had stopped lots of times over the years, over those thirty plus years. I had stopped lots of times, but I'd always started back, right? You know, and that was one thing I told my counselor. Earlier on, I'm like, I don't think I really got a problem. I mean, I, I could stop. I mean, I, I stopped so many times, and he's like, Are you listening to what you're saying? Right. I'm like, What? I mean, I, I can stop anytime I want. I've stopped bunches of times. Okay, are you listening to what you're saying? I'm like, oh, it's like, but look where you're sitting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I got you. I always Something. started back, and yeah, it yeah. always got worse. There he is with that logic. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yes, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just, ha- I'm, you know, I would have never met uh, Brooke. Brooke doesn't know me before I was got sober. So we've been together a decade, and so yeah, my my life's totally changed. My kids, you know, we. Uh, have a very good relationship now. They're all grown. They're they have children of their own, and so we were just visiting down with them in Pensacola. We have uh, my oldest son. He has two two children now, and so, um, so yeah, we have a wonderful life now. Absolutely. Amen. Joy's happiness, joy, joy, happiness, and fr- uh, freedom, just like the big book says. You know, just absolutely. like it says. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Happy, joyous, and free. That's what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. You wanna you wanna you wanna end on that high note, right? I there? think we should. Okay. <laughs> Guys. Look, get sober, and you too can run for governor. That's right. Go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it may take a decade or so, but hey, you know, right. it is doable. Well, you got to hone that, uh, hone that platform. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. You guys have been amazing and Look, I really appreciate it. I yeah. mean, I don't know that we're hard hitting journalists, but I mean, yeah. we've been asking you questions. <laughs> um, you know, holding your feet to the oh, fire. Yeah, I yeah. appreciate that. That was a good question. Well, it's not. It's not just a, about. It's not just about COVID. It's about being having a strong Mississippi that can stand and unite against a common enemy and we just feel like there's there's a lot out there and with the leadership that we've had we didn't stand strong and that we have a lot of victims we have a lot of closed businesses we got a lot of traumatized children we have you know the aftermath of lockdowns and masking and business closures and you know the economic havoc that is inflation and I think with strong leadership, we could stand against a lot of that. I think so. I think so. Well, we wish you the best of luck. And yes, um, thank you. Brooke, thank you. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Witcher, thank yes. you. John, yes, guys, thank you. you. Yes, Witcher yes, for thank governor. Witcher for governor. There you go. All right, here we go. We're out.
Yeah, yeah, I appreciate you I hate that it, it, it shouldn't, so. healthcare should not be controversial. And what 